Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. This is not by habit. It may be Sunday to the world, but it is not Sunday to us. It is the Lord's day. Hallelujah. It is a day that we gather, not out of habit, but something within us draws us. Hallelujah. God said, just come to my house with a thirst. That's all you have to do is come with a thirst, and you will go home filled. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Let's ask God to touch us I'm telling you, all you have to do is come with a thirst. That is God's word. If you would hunger and thirst after his righteousness, not what the world calls righteousness, after his righteousness, then you would go home filled. Let's pray for those in the back. Everything that would go on today, that God would feel, have his way, put his words in our mouth. Because we can't do this alone. We can't do this in our flesh. We need his spirit to anoint us. Let's pray. God of heaven, we love you, Jesus. And Father, we have the sense to know that we can't do this on our own. So I ask you right now to anoint us, anoint our tongues, anoint our spirits, Lord God, anoint our minds, our efforts, Lord God. Everything that we do, God, I pray that you would anoint. God, you know our intention. You know the thoughts of the heart. So I'm asking you right now, as we gather together in your name, God, that you would strengthen, that you would touch us as individuals, Lord God, and collectively as the body of Christ. For you know the will, the purpose, the design that you have put in each and every one of us to make the house of God your will, your perfect. I pray that you anoint us, Lord God, to see it done, Lord God. Touch us, strengthen us. Touch those in the back, Lord God, I pray. Strengthen them, anoint them, Lord God, and fulfill us this day, God, I pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, the only name under heaven whereby we must be saved. Hallelujah. You may be seated. I thank you for being here. I welcome you here. Hallelujah. I give you my title. And it is... My title will be for today, The Truth and Love. And I just want to make one disclaimer. Back when I felt impressed on this, I had no earthly idea, believe it or not, that Tuesday, February the 14th, would be here. So, all I'm saying is that is no motivation for this. 
I'm telling you, that is not what motivated me today. (laughs) There's no motivation there. But it is God himself that has anointed me. I could care less what happens Tuesday. I want to talk about what's happening today. I don't mean to be ugly in my speech today. But I'm going to tell you what the world won't tell you. And I want to speak it from this biblical point of view. I don't want to tell you nothing that ain't in God's word. All you can hear, I just saw a clip the other day. The speaker is speaking to thousands of people, literally thousands. And how I know that is because the camera spanned out and said what God wants you to be is to simply be yourself. That is not in the Bible. Literally not in the Bible. The Bible says you would be a new creature in Christ Jesus, that old things would be passed away. If you be yourself, it will get you in a place that you do not want to be. You cannot be yourself, for yourself is flesh. And if I yield to my flesh, then first of all, I'm going to make his life miserable, and God is going to disown me. So that is what the world is being taught. And here again, this paints us in a corner because we're the ones that told we are fair circle. If you disagree with any of the world's teaching that God has so much love, do what you want, say what you want, God loves you so much that he will accept you just the way you are. That is not Bible. There's nowhere in there, yes, God loves us. Yes, God wants our best. But yes, we have the responsibility to say that God loved us so much that he came in human flesh and died because he came in his flesh, number one, to help me in my flesh to overcome that whatever is tormenting me, that he would give me the grace and the chance and the time to repent of it. That is why he came, not that I would live in it and that he would have to just constantly just forgive me day after day after day. As the old saying, as Christians, we know, well, the ox is in the ditch. Well, you got two choices, fill in the ditch or kill the ox. That's all. That's all you have. It is not that you have to just keep on putting it and just say, well, my flesh is so weak. That's calling God weak, and God is not weak. He said he is strong. Trust in the Lord. Put yourself in him, and he would be strong. Now, we just live in a world, we're not getting away from it. There is so many distractions in our world, literally. It is just here. There's nothing we can do about it. Everyone you pass on the road, they're not even looking up. They're looking down. They're on their phone. They're on Facebook. They're texting Law enforcement is literally doing everything they can. You're causing accidents. Stay away from this. But it has very little effect. People come to church, their iPads is good. But if you're on your iPad while this man is preaching, you better think about what you're doing because you are in the house of God. God will hold us responsible with the time we spend in this house. Media's here. It ain't going nowhere. But the time. I'm telling you, if time, you have my attention if you speak on time. And what little time we are here. Everybody's human. Our mind drifts off enough as it is. But if I allow myself or something to draw me away while he is preaching, then God's going to hold me accountable for it. 
I gave my precious word to you. I gave you a prophet to preach to you and you chose to go somewhere else while this man, your pastor, was preaching. I don't want to stand before God while this is happening. And the world says you can't do enough. You can't sin enough. You can't go wrong enough. I'm not mad. I sound mad, but I'm not mad. I'm telling you, this is what we fight. People come to church, they think they can do what they want. We have to accept it. I'm telling you, we do not. I don't know what they've been told, but we are apostolic, god bought child of God people. This is the truth. This is God's truth. And we are not going to allow it in these walls. God has a truth. We must speak the truth and speak it in love. It will not match what they've been told and heaven forbid it should match what comes in here. That is the truth. It's literally, there's so many distractions. The Bible tells us now, today, we only live in the now. That's all we can do. I tell you, so much concerns me about time. We always talk about time in the future, time in the past. It's just fantasy. But the Bible says today is the day of salvation. We only have right now. Right now, that's why we have to guard our minds so much. Literally, that is all we're promised. Literally, when the Bible promises us, it speaks literally in a 24-hour cycle period. It says today, today. It speaks in today. But the Bible says today is the day of your salvation. You literally have to watch what you're doing. It speaks of today. Now, I know what I'm fixing to do, and everything I've read says you shouldn't do this because it's going to be literally like slapping you in the face with cold water. But I'm speaking to people that I believe that know the truth. So, James is speaking to, to people, and he says it like this, people that asked of wisdom. In James 1.6, But let he ask in faith, nothing wavering, but he that wavereth is like a wave driven in the wind and tossed. For let not, not man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. And he says, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. I cannot let life affect me to the point. It's the analogy he's using, like a ship with no sail, and he's on the wind, and the wind determines where it goes. Or the waves, the wind determines where the wave goes, and the wave has no say. The wind controls it. I can't come in here and let life control my mind while I'm in the presence of God. I'm not saying God won't help us nowhere else outside of these walls, for he will. But while we're at a collective time, where we're in the house of God as a collective, spirit upon spirit, iron sharp near iron, and we're in here, I cannot let the enemy just torment my mind just like the wind blowing the waves and the Bible plainly tells us a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Next thing I'm going to know, if I do that, then he's going to be saying, you're dismissed. And I'm going to say, wait a minute. I have supposed to have been in church, but it's over. And the Bible plainly says, let not that man think he can receive anything of the Lord. And it's time to go home. And I have sat there and thought with my mind, and it's over. I know you shouldn't do it, but I think you're tough enough. That's why I did it. Now, 
turn with me over to the fourth chapter, 14 and 15. Whereas you know, what shall it be on the morrow? No, 4, 3 and 4. Nope. Hold on just a minute. Second Timothy. Right portion, wrong book. Okay. He says in Second Timothy two fourteen. Of these put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Paul's telling Timothy, Look, when you come, let your words have meaning to them. Don't sit there and just go on and on and on about nothing. Because if you do, those that are listening to you, you're just distorting the truth and you're just, you're just subverting the hearers. You're taking the simplicity of the truth and you're making error out of it if you do that. And then he says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And I think this could be a lot of people's error or, or fault. It says, study to show thyself approved unto God. Now, if I get up here and just try to wow you, say, wow, look what you've done, then my whole motive is wrong. It says, study to show thyself approved unto God. I'm not, don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to please you. We're all trying to please God. Study to show thyself approved unto God. What we are trying to do is help one another, encourage one another, build up one another. He said, don't just speak in, in meaningless words because if you do, what you're speaking of is just going to put a stumbling block in front of your brother. And then he said, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, rightly dividing. This is the only place rightly dividing is used in the New Testament, period. This is it. Rightly dividing literally means to cut straight. If you take and separate this truth, Paul said, you better know what you're doing. Rightly dividing this word of truth. Because John told us, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So this word is truth. This word is our literally our Lord, the written word. So he says, rightly dividing. Now, when you compare one scripture to another, just know what you're doing. That's all that Paul is saying. Know what you're doing. It's like my father always said that they did in their house when they had two and they only had one piece. One child got to cut it. The other one got to choose first. Well, you could get out the mic and check it. It was probably pretty close. He said, so just make sure you know what you're doing. He said, don't just distort the word of truth because if you do, you're going, you're, you're, you're going to hurt somebody. And Paul says, you don't want to do that. And then you're approved unto God. Now, it means to cut straight. Now, turn over with me to 2 Timothy, just in the fourth chapter, and I'm going to read 3 and 4. For the time will come when they would not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust, they will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away, turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. And says, now they will not, 
For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but they shall to their own lust, they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They shall heap. Now, here again, not making this up, where it says they shall heap. This is the only time this is used in Scripture. What that means is what it literally says. And to me, we have a sycamore in our backyard. And just like when I first planted, it was only like four foot tall. And I actually planted another one there. And then a gentleman that come that knew a little bit more about trees than I did and said, ooh, you, you planted two of them. I said, so? He said, you don't realize what you've created. So, you know, I just took his warning and as my parents talk about the old 12 days where if you want to move something, you move it. I just moved one of them to the front of the property and I'm glad I did. So when you rake them leaves, wow. <laughs> that baby's got some shade in the summer, but it's like the first to shed and the last to give it shade. But you heap the leaves. Now what Paul is saying is they will heap to themselves. They will gather to themselves teachers. Now what I say heap means in my language is dropkick. You don't do what I think you should say. You're dropkicked and we'll get another. The Bible says that's what they will... Brother Boyd, they're laughing at me. Brother Boyd's laughing at me. Well, somebody say to him. So literally, the Bible says they will take and heap to themselves teachers. They're going to gather everyone they can. And I'll try to find another word to use. They will heap and gather and do this. Now, I literally looked this up. This really did intrigue me. And they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. I looked this up and I actually did tell this thought to someone. And after he got through laughing, I um, grew another layer of skin. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you. But I did, and I, I, I mentioned this to Brother Gibson um, here a while back, and he didn't laugh too hard, so I'm going to tell you. But I looked this up. The old saying is you should never scratch an itch. It's true. If you look that up and read it, but this is what intrigued me. The Bible says they will heap, they will gather them teachers that will tickle or scratch their ears. Now, the old saying is true. If you have an itch, it's telling you something is wrong with your skin. Now, medically, what is proved, when you scratch the itch, the sensors in your skin is so close related to pain that what literally happens is you inflict more harm on your skin than you do than the itch is causing. But you say, well, the itch goes away. No, no. The pain, the body sends a signal to the brain that is false. It thinks that a pain is there and it sends out uh, this hormone to this itch and it thinks there's a pain there and it sends out something to relieve it. So what is happening is you have created 
the pain to relieve the itch. So you have done more harm to yourself than good simply because the brain got the wrong signal. You scratched it, you caused pain. So I'm, I'm, I, I applied that spiritually. The Bible says they will heap to themselves teachers who's telling them what they want to hear. They're not telling them the truth. They're telling them what they want to hear. Their itch is being scratched, but it is at the detriment of their own eternal soul. They don't realize that their own little spiritual ears is being comforted. But in the long run, their soul is at stake. They don't realize that. And they shall turn their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables. Literally, when you have a chance for the truth and you turn your ears away from this, then this truth will just be a fable. Literally, when you do. That's what happened. The itch goes away, but all you've done is done more harm to yourself than good, literally. And I promise you that is the truth. I looked it up again to make sure. Now, I'm where I want to talk about. John 13, 35. Okay. This is literally the last, the Bible calls it the last supper. This is when Jesus is taking his disciples aside. This is literally at the end of Jesus' life. So the Bible tells us, John 13, 35, the Bible records this. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if ye have love one to the other. Now, I've said it before, and I believe this is the benchmark of the church. This is the reference point that the world could look at. Now, if you want to get sticky about it, this is me. But God was talking to the church here. He wasn't talking to the world. He was talking to the church. He said, by this... By this, if you have loved one to the other. Okay? Now, the world says one thing, but what I want to talk about is what God says. This is the benchmark. Now, we know okay, what I want to do is read the verse in front of it. Okay, 34. And some people has went as far as to say when Jesus said this, he did away with the Ten Commandments. Here again, then Jesus literally went to say that I did not come to do away with the old. I came to fulfill it. I came to fulfill the law. I am the fulfillment of the law. So he says in verse 34, a new commandment I give unto you that ye love one another and here is the true statement. As I have loved you that you would love one another as I have loved you. Now, how do you get the benchmark? 
Now, what I want to do, I want to, and, and I'll hurry through this as fast as I can. I just, I just try to explain things in a way that hopefully everybody can understand it. And if you're not a builder, then I, I pray that you'll get this. 34, uh, 35, I believe, truly is the benchmark of the church. And what I mean by that, it is the reference point. It is what that you go by. Jesus said, by this. In other words, people could look at this. It is how we treat one another, how we deal with one another. When we're away from here, how we make reference to one another. God said, this is how all men, talking to us, but he included everybody out there. Okay. Now, and this is the way that I worked. I can't speak for everybody, but I want to tell you how I worked. I laid out a lot of houses. Is what I mean by that, it was just a thing of dirt, just dirt that's been cleared off when I went out there. So the first thing that you did was what called establish a benchmark. A benchmark. And normally what you did, you went out there, and to make it simple, what I will do is just use this corner over here where she is sitting at. If we use that corner, you establish that corner. You don't shoot these four corners. You don't do that. You shoot one corner. It establishes the benchmark. Then you take that mark, and you establish that mark to the four corners. Okay, that that establishes this. Normally, the floor is the same as the benchmark. Okay, that is what you can go by. Everything in this building is based on the benchmark. The top of the doors, the top of the windows, the top of the ceiling, the top of the edge of the ceiling. See, you've got to have something to go by. You've got to have something that is reliable, and it has got to be accurate. But since I was the one that started it, I was ragged all the time. Well, if it's wrong, it starts with you. I got told that so many times, which is the truth. That's why I had to be so careful. I had to go over it and over it and over it because literally the last thing you want to do is, is for somebody to call you and tell you you've made a mistake. Now, that is determined. This determines the benchmark. Everything in this building is based on the benchmark. But what I'm going to tell you next, unless you're a builder, you wouldn't know. Okay, 35, verse 35 is the benchmark. 34 is the foundation. And the benchmark determines the depth of the foundation. I'm telling you it does. What you do, you go to the benchmark. That determines how down, how deep you dig to pour your footer at the bottom. Okay? Now, what I'm, this is true physical, and I believe it's true spiritual. Because the, the world says God loves you, nothing you could do, it's period, it's just love, love, love. Okay? 30, 35 is our benchmark. Okay? So the world is saying to us, it's just all about love, okay? But we must base everything on the Bible. So 35 is a benchmark. 34 is the foundation. So 35 tells us the benchmark. 34 says, well, this is how far you must go. 
34 is the foundation. It is the depth. 34 is the strength of the benchmark. 35 is the benchmark. 34 is the foundation. And the foundation is the strength of the benchmark. So when the world tells us it's all about love, I can do anything I want. God's going to accept me for who I am. I can just be me and God accept me. Okay, as an apostolic church, we will say, well, how far do we go with that? We go to the foundation. And the foundation says, as I have loved you. That is how far you go. So you look in the Bible at scriptures. How did God react to people? What did he do? What did he do in this case? What is his strength? How did he treat people? We know sometimes we would think, well, that's just cruel. When, when women would come to God and he would just say, or men, and he would just say, let the dead bury the dead. And the, the lady that come to him and, and just said, well, you know, I, I desire crumbs. And he just said, look, you know, it, it ain't time. You know, you're not, you're not even getting the crumbs. And then where the, the lady that was brought to him uh, in adultery and the, and the Lord just proved his point. He's just taken literally. And one thing that I just never realized, I even wrote Brother Boyd and told him that one thing I never even noticed about that is my Lord, the Lord's in the temple. And the Bible says that grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So, so my, just my way of thinking is just what, what a better place to write grace and truth than in the temple floor. The Bible says he knelt down, he wrote two times. But this is Jesus this is the foundation. This is how far we go. The world says, do whatever you want, love whatever you want, say whatever you want. But they brought the lady to the Lord and it's just come as you are. Well, we got sense enough to know that. There's no other way to come. But what we must tell them is you do not have to stay the way you are. For God told her is that this is what you do. Go and sin no more. And the righteous brothers that brought her to the Lord, standing in the face of forgiveness, they chose to leave. She's the only one that stayed. Truly, she's the only one that stayed. So all I'm saying is we must give the truth and God's love. And it is not going to match what the world says. I'm telling you, we have to do it. The foundation is to strengthen of our benchmark. It literally is. And one verse I want to read. I, I didn't give this to him, and I'll just read it to you. This is what Isaiah told him. It says, Wherefore he, the word of the Lord, ye scornful men, that rule his people which is in Jerusalem. Now listen to this. Because ye have said, We have made a covenant with death, and with hell we are at an agreement. When the overflowing scourge shall pass through, it shall not come unto us. For we have made lies our refuge, and under falsehood have we hid ourselves. God is saying, you've got to be kidding. You have made a covenant with death, and at hell you are at an agreement. And then they say, for we have made lies our refuge. You know, our refuge has been a lie. In other words, they was telling God. And then they say, under falsehood have we hid ourselves. We have hid ourselves under false pretenses. 
And But this was God's reaction to that. God says, you know what? This is my reaction to what you've just told me. Therefore saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation, and he that believeth shall not make haste. God said, For too long, for too long, I have come in theophanies. But there's coming a day when I'm going to wrap myself in flesh, and I'm coming to present myself, and when I do, it is will be unto my people, and that foundation I will be the chief cornerstone. For the Bible tells us in the New Testament that the one that the builders disallowed has become the head of the corner. He is. They've called us Jesus only. They've called us just whatever name you can imagine. But literally, we've been called an occult. We've been called whatever name you can just think of. But I'm telling you, it is... I just don't know what else to do other than preach the word of the God, the literally the Bible. Literally, every reference point we have must be taken from the Bible because this is it. Every point, he is the chief cornerstone. Every reference of the spiritual building that we encase, we house, Jesus Christ is the reference point, is the benchmark. Everything that we do, every reference point is made from him. Now, everything, everything is made from him. I want to read to you in uh, Matthew, Matthew 16, if you will, just turn to me, turn with me to Matthew 16. I just want to share one thing with you. Matthew 16. Really, I won't read this whole thing, but really and truly, to get the full meaning of it, you need to read Matthew uh, 16, 13, all the way to 23. But this is when the Lord, he takes his disciples to the coast of uh, Caesarea Philippi, and it's literally for a purpose to the land um, that history says was full of idols. He takes them there, and first he asks them two questions. First off, he says, who does the world, basically, in my language, who does the world say that I am? He gets their opinion. And then he asks his disciples, he asks the church, but who do you say that I am? So then, when Simon Peter tells him who that he says that he is, this is what I want to point out to you. Jesus himself says this, in the 17th verse, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Now, get this. Jesus Christ in the flesh, standing there looking at his disciples, telling them, there is no flesh, not even me, that has revealed this unto you. That's why I said, come hungry. If there's ever a verse that proves it doesn't matter what he's preaching on. And I don't mean that the wrong way. Because here is Jesus himself telling his disciples, I have not even told you this, but the spirit that inhabits my body has revealed this unto you. So you, you could be in the most complex situation that you could never get out of. And he could be ministering on lying. 
And God could literally tell you the answer to what you have been seeking. For God is telling his disciples, I myself, God in the flesh, hadn't told you this. It has not been revealed to you, not even by me. Not even by me have you been told this. And he tells them, he says, and he gives them, and he gives them the answer to this. Then he tells his disciples, he charged them, and you know what? Don't you tell nobody. This revelation is not to be given. You don't tell a soul. This is not to be given. So he tells them, and then they're sitting there, and then he says, but this is my point I want to make. If you write in your Bible, if you don't write in your Bible, and you write what, I want, what I'm fixing to tell you, you write this down. In the, in the verse 21, now, this is why I said, we're poked fun at, made fun of, called Jesus only. Call it what you will. But once Jesus saw his disciples had a revelation of who he was, look at what verse 21 says, the first four words, from that time forth. Once God realized that they had the revelation of who he was, then he began to reveal unto them the revelation of more events that was coming to pass. When you pray and you know who he is, you quote this verse to him. You say, God, (laughs) I have been so fortunate to know who you are. I don't care what the world says about me. I know who you are. And in knowing who you are, it's gonna bring revelations that the world will never get. They can say what they wanna say, but I know who you are. And in knowing who you are, from that time forth, Jesus began to show unto his disciples, it will bring revelation. And I'm telling you, it is not only to us. You can be sitting on a church, sitting on whatever church you want to, and those that have a hunger and a desire can say, God, I know what the preacher's preaching, but I feel I know more and get a revelation of who he is and God starts dealing with them. God is not relegated just unto us. Whosoever will would get this revelation. That's why I said it begins and starts with knowing who he is. And this has not from that time forth. His suffering, his death has never been revealed. You read it. It had not been released until this time. For right after that is when the apostle Peter flipped out and then it had not been revealed. But God said, and, and I believe God just literally, when they knew who he was, God felt in his spirit, they know enough of me to handle what is fixing to take place. And as far as Peter, the, what happens next, I believe that it's just a warning to the church. Literally, it doesn't matter how much revelation you have received how much knowledge we have or who we think we are. You operate in the flesh and God will drop kick you to the back of the line. That is the truth. And I believe that's why that scripture is there. 
For here is Peter, just got the keys to the kingdom, and I believe that means access. When you pray, you know who he is. It is not the second person. He is the Almighty. So when you know who he is and you pray, and God, and then he looks at the apostle and he says, who do you think you are? Who do you think you're addressing? Get behind me. For you savor not the things of God. He's operating. He let his emotions, as we would say, get the best of him. So it does not matter how much revelation. If we operate, that is a perfect example of flesh operating, not spirit. That is all flesh with no spirit. So therefore, get behind me. But I'm telling you, verse 21 is a promise from that time forth. Jesus began to reveal himself. He began to expose more of himself. So whoever you are, it does not matter. If you would give yourself unto him, then he will reveal himself unto you. He will reveal himself unto you. Now, I want to I end with this. In Revelation... The Lord speaks to the churches. And I just, I'll just i just talk briefly of one church. To the church of Thyatira. And I believe this is basically where we're at. Thyatira was severely rebuked. And... This was a church. This was one of the seven churches. This is not something that God is just throwing a letter out to. This is to one of his churches. And that's how I think we should look at this. So he is telling his church. And I will just read. It's in chapter 2. And I will just read 18 through 21. And to the angel of the church... And the angel, when you read angel into the churches, that, that would be what we would call the pastor. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, excuse me, and his feet are like fine brass. I know thy works and thy charity and service and faith and patience and thy works and the last to be more than the first. Nowwithstanding, I have a few things against thee because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel which calleth herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And 21, and I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repenteth not. Now, here's the thing. No amount of loving and and sacrificial works can take place for the tolerance of evil. What I'm trying to say is we have to balance this. And I think John 34 and 35 is our balance. 35 is the benchmark. 34 is the foundation. 34 lets us know how far we should go with that. And 34, I do believe, is the strength of the foundation. He starts off by saying... These things saith the Son of God in verse 18. Now, 
Always when you read Revelation, I know I've said this, but just bear with me. Always when you read Revelation, no matter what portion you are reading, always keep in your mind, this is the revelation of who God is. So when he says, these things saith the Son of God, this is the only time this title is used, period, in Revelation. It's used one time, and it's used to this church who had a severe rebuke of what they was let going on in their church. Now, they was commended. They was commended. He said, I know thy works, thy charity, thy love, the service, faith, patience, works, and the last to be more than the first. God said, you're going to finish better than where you started, but you got some improving to do. And apparently what the church was doing, and this woman that the Lord named Jezebel, from what I get, apparently, I'm not 100% sure on this, but everything I can get my hands on, apparently she was a wife if not of the bishop, someone in the church is what I can get. I'm not 100% sure on that, 100% sure on that. But anyway, regardless, some says that that's the case. But anyway, my point I want to make, he said, these things saith the Son of God. Some said, which is true, that they had a temple there, was Apollo, son of Zeus, and that's why he called himself the Son of God. I don't I just don't I don't go that way. Some said he called himself the Son of God pertaining to his deity. I have nothing wrong with that, but I don't go with that. Now this is me. I'm pertaining it strictly to what I know of God and what I have learnt while I have been here. These things saith the Son of God. <sighs> And if we're not where this church was, I don't know where we else could be in America. America has become so tolerant. I'm telling you, men and women just stand before people dressed any way they want. And this is me. You are presenting one of the most precious items there is on planet Earth. People in jeans and shirts untucked. If you're just at an outing at a barbecue, fine. But if you're in the house of God, then you should at least be presentable. And they just, they just deface it to me. I'm not talking about the pew. In so many words, they have no control over the pew but the ones representing the house of God. And they just tell people, come any way you want to. Live any way you want to. It's, it's the fruitcakes that say you have to do this and the people that's out on a limb that puts restrictions on you. And that's what was happening in Thyatira. God said, you have love and character and patience, but you're tolerating this woman to seduce my servants, to preach this doctrine. I gave her time to repent. She would not repent. And God said, thus saith the Son of God. While he was on this earth is the time that he used the phrase Son of God. 
And that was because he walked in this flesh. And that is what God condemned them for, for what they did in their flesh. God said, I came in my flesh. I died in my flesh. I gave you the anointing, the victory to overcome what this lady has preached and taught. She commended fornication and you did it with her. And in your flesh, you did it with her. So that is why I thank God, the only time in Revelation, that he approached them as, thus saith the flesh of God. He rebuked them severely for allowing this to go on in his church and not doing nothing with her. They allowed it to continue and not stop her. God said, I'm going to deal with her. God said, literally, I'm going to put you in a bed and just forgive me, I will try to finish it. I know the young people's coming in. In the bed is where you did your business, and in the bed is where I will take your life. If you don't believe me, you read it. God said, I will take you to the bed, and that is where I'll take your life. And just pardon me here, but the end result of that will be your children, and I will take their life also. God said, I'm going to do it. So we have a mandate. This world has went to the extreme of what God will let go. It is not Bible. It is not the word of God. We are to preach the truth in love. And that love comes from this holy writ. It is the word of God. He told them in Thyatira, this is my truth. I'm the one that tries the reins in, in the hearts. Other words, I know your mind. I know what's going on. I am the truth. And this is why I've done it. And he told them, literally, I will do that. And he told them in 25, hold fast, hold fast to what you've been given. Truly, truly, no greater love has been given than what the Lord did for his beloved. No greater love has been given. God said that he did this and I will leave you I will leave you and, and they don't have to turn to the scripture I will just I will just tell you this in being the fulfillment of the law the Lord said it like this ye have heard of old time do not commit adultery but God said now that if a man look upon a woman to lust after her is committed adultery already. Where? In his heart. Now I'll tell you why I think that's so. Because in the Old Testament, when he said, do not commit adultery. If you did, you took your sacrifice and went to the priest, to the temple, and you made amends. But Paul told us, now, know ye not that your body is the temple. So, if I have an impure thought in my mind, I have just committed adultery in the most sacred place there is on the planet. I have just committed an act that in the Old Testament would have got me killed. I have committed adultery in my temple. And that is what grace is for. Not as the world teaches, just do what you want, sin as much as you want, and God will give you the grace just to go on sinning. No, 
God said, I've given you space and time because that which would have got you killed, I will let you have the breath of long enough time to repent. That's why he made the fulfillment that if you ever, if you even think that in your heart, which is your temple, that's why it went from that to this because you are the temple of the Holy Ghost. That's why we must preach this truth in love. It is not just seeing and watching and doing and listening to anything I want to and thinking it's all right because I am violating the temple of the Holy Ghost. And I'm telling you, if you think I'm joking, you read the Old Testament about what God does with people that violates his temple. And then you take that to the New Testament and think if you can get by with it. I'm telling you, the properest way I know how, you will not. We have to preach the truth and preach it in love and the love according to this. I'm telling you, I'm not mad. I know I've sound mad the whole hour probably. But I'm telling you what I'm ticked off about is what the world is telling this people that's listening to them. We are, we are the beloved. And never forget from that time forth he began to show unto his disciples we have a promise. We have a promise. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.